Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. While you do that, I'm going to get you to help me with something really quickly, if you will. I'd like to record a quick uh, video message to, to my father and the bishop of this house to say Happy Father's Day. Do y'all want to help me with that? Yeah. You're like, no, I didn't sign on for that. My hair ain't right. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can do this. I don't know. No, it's not an Android. I don't use junk. That was just for you. That was for coming by this office and making fun of my Ford truck this week. All right, Ryan, come record this for me real fast. Just stand right here, and I'm going to stand right here and talk. And then I'm going to say, just want to say Happy Father's Day. We love you, blah, 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 from Triumph Church, Beaumont. And then I'm going to turn around, and Ryan's going to pan the crowd, and you guys are going to say, Happy Father's Day, Bishop. Can y'all do that? Do we need to practice? Some of, okay, here we go. We're going to practice for Sydney. One, two, three. Happy Father's Day, Bishop. Good job. All right. You ready? I'm just kidding. (laughs) You ready? Hey, Dad, just wanted to say uh, happy Father's Day to you, how much we love and appreciate uh, you, all that you've done for me in my life, my family, my kids, being the father that you are, the friend that you are, the pastor and and bishop, and everything that you've been in my life. I wish I could be with you this morning, but I'm looking forward to seeing you this afternoon as the the thunder roll over the heat today and Tiger comes back to win the U.S. Open. (laughs) But uh, we have a special message you, from, to you from everyone here at Triumph Beaumont. Happy yeah. Father's Day, Bishop! Will you send that to him for me? Text it to him? Thank you. Thank you. I was talking to my wife yesterday and, and realizing that um, I never get to be with my mom on Mother's Day or she's never with her mom on Mother's Day or my father on Father's Day or whatnot. They're always in other places doing the work of God and that's okay. But thank you for allowing me to uh, hopefully make this day special uh, for my dad and our bishop. All right, if you're at Psalm the 139th, verse 23, can I get a great big Amen. All right. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What powerful verses that David wrote as he spent some time in the presence of God. Let's pray today. Father, I thank you for your presence that's here, for the opportunity that we have to worship you, to serve you, to live for you, to love you, to just the honor of being with you for just a few moments. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Do something great in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of our sermon today is just simply, Lead Me. Lead Me. It's a cry 
from children to their fathers, lead me. It's a cry from wives to their husbands, lead me. It's a cry from men to our God, lead me. At the conclusion of this service today, we are going to take a resolution. Many of the men in this room today have already signed up. Others uh, may be moved to join us at the conclusion of this service to take a resolution. Why a resolution? Why take the time out of our Sunday morning service? Why bother with it? Why worry about it? Because in truth, the world is attacking manhood and fatherhood. The world is not in favor of you being the father that God has called you to be, the husband that you've been called to be, the man that you've been called to be. The world isn't for you. And so at some point, I am looking to lead men today who decide to decide for themselves to resolve this issue. Regardless of what the world says or what the world does, I'm going to be who God called me to be. I'm going to be what the Bible tells me to be. I'm going to be what, uh, what Jesus taught me to be and modeled for me. I will do things to the best of my ability to live a godly lifestyle. I want to read the resolution to you. Uh, Brie, can you hand me that one right there? Just hand me the whole folder. will work fine. I want to read it to you because I want you to have it on your heart as we prepare and as we preach today. This is the resolution. I do solemnly resolve before God to take full responsibility for myself, my wife, and my children. I will love them, protect them, serve them, and teach them the word of God as the spiritual leader of my home. I will be faithful to my wife to love and honor her and be willing to lay down my life for her as Jesus Christ did for me. I will bless my children and teach them to love God with all of their hearts, all of their minds, and all of their strength. I will train them to honor authority and live responsibly. I will confront evil, pursue justice, and love mercy. I will pray for others and treat them with kindness, respect, and compassion. I will work diligently to provide for the needs of my family. I will forgive those who have wronged me and reconcile with those I have wronged. I will learn from my mistakes, repent of my sins, and walk with integrity as a man answerable to God. I will seek to honor God, be faithful to His church, obey His word, and do His will. I will courageously work with the strength God provides to fulfill this resolution for the rest of my life and for His glory. And in conclusion, as Joshua said in chapter 24, verse 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's a serious resolution It's not just a few words scribbled on a piece of paper, but it's a commitment, first of all, to God, secondly, to ourselves, and then finally, to our families, to be this type of man, a man of courage, a man of God. But you know, it's Father's Day, so I want to spend some time talking to the men specifically today. I want to talk to fathers. I want to talk to husbands. I want to talk to future fathers and future husbands, and I want to challenge you. If you want to get to the core of who someone really is, of who people really are, start talking to them about their dad. Start getting them to tell you about the things he said to them, the things he modeled for them, the the way that he treated them. And you will begin to learn uh, a lot as to why they are who they are. You'll begin to learn whether he loved them or whether he wounded them in just a matter of moments. We intrinsically long for our Father's approval. And when we don't get it, it can cause serious repercussions in our lives. 
I'm not blaming all the problems of the world on fathers. Uh, you see, every man and every girl, every person at some point has to choose for themselves their own, and make their own decisions. But I am telling you that I believe everything begins with a father. I am telling you that fathers are called to be the head of our home. We're called to lead. We're called to father. More than just a uh, a noun, more than just a title, it's a verb. It's an action. It's an involvement in the situation. I, I am called to father. I, I am convinced that if fathers as a whole were doing a better job, there would be few problems and issues in our world today. But there are so many things against fathers. The first thing that we see that is against fathers is divorce. Marriage is the glue that keeps dads connected to their children. But illegitimate births and divorce are two of the greatest factors that steal kids away from their fathers. If you've been through a divorce, I feel an overwhelming sense of compassion for every man and every woman that's walked through a divorce. I want you to know something. That God does not hate you. God has not rejected you. God is not pushing you away. God hates divorce, but he doesn't hate you. He hates the pain that you've walked through, but he doesn't hate you. He hates the impact that it's made on your life and your family and your world, but he doesn't hate you. He loves you dearly. And the reason I can say that with confidence is because God has walked through the pain of divorce. He's understand the rejection, the betrayal, the hurt that goes down deep. And so God can connect with you. He can understand and he wants to lead you. I, I pray that, that God has led you or if he hasn't led you, is in the process to leading you to someone that can share your life forever. Someone that you can connect with and uh, is the perfect person for God in your life. With that said, I want to challenge every man here that is currently married or plans to be married. I want to challenge you to take the word divorce out of your vocabulary. You see, we keep talking about something long enough and eventually we'll follow through with it. Take it out of your vocabulary. Resolve to be the man that God's called you to be from now on. Can I get an amen? amen. The second thing against uh, fathers is work. Before the Industrial Revolution, fathers typically worked at home with their kids alongside specifically their boys. Uh, and this provided a natural opportunity for them to share their faith, their values, and their work ethic. You see, before the 1800s, most men took their boys to work in the fields or work on the farm or the ranch. They took them to work in, in their um, carpentry uh, place or their blacksmith place or whatever it might be. Uh, children went to work with their father. And it, it created a situation where men had a natural opportunity to uh, pass on the things that had been put into them. But in the 1800s, the Industrial Revolution uh, took over. Men went to work at factories. They would leave their kids at homes with moms, which diminished the influence of fathers. Men would get home from a long day at work, exhausted, having given all of their, first, uh, their best time and their best energy to that job, that factory, that place. And when they got home, they were too tired to engage with their families. Now, of course, this doesn't speak to every man but it's one of the problems working against fathers today. 
Don't allow your work priorities to pull all of your best time and energy away from your real priorities. The third thing is entertainment. I love, uh, we, we live in an age of entertainment. Everywhere you turn, someone's there to entertain you. I love much of the entertainment that we have and, and uh, do enjoy most of the entertainment. But the challenge is when we spend more time watching TV, surfing the internet, playing golf, or enjoying our hobbies than in meaningful conversation with our wife or kids. The challenge is when entertainment takes away the rest of our time. So work gets our time and then entertainment gets our time. And where we end up with is that our kids and our wives get the leftovers. Let me ask you this. What is influencing your kids? Are you influencing your kids? Or MTV, Nickelodeon, Disney, Grey's Anatomy? What's influencing your kids? The fourth thing is an anti-fatherhood bias in the media. Some of you are old enough to remember in shows where men and fathers were depicted as strong, intelligent, responsible men. How many of you remember shows like Leave it to Beaver? I don't. I'm just raising my hand so that uh, you know they were out there. This was before my time. But you remember the days. You may have seen them when, when fathers were, were men of integrity. They were men of wisdom. They were intelligent. But now, have you watched your television lately? Men are depicted as big, dumb ogres who sit around in their lazy boy watching television, disconnected from their family, disconnected from their wives, continually outwitted by their wives and, and, their, and, their, and their 16-year-old kids. And it's an attack on America. It has, uh, in its own way, begun to tear down the value and the importance of a father in the home. And it's not giving people a model. So what we see on TV, we tend to replicate in our own lives. What we see on TV, we tend to believe. And so therefore now we come home and we watch it. And we know that was a fiction show, but it then tends to become the atmosphere of our home. Finally, the last thing that I'm going to talk today about that may be against fathers, and it pains me to say this, but is the church. I think too often pastors have gone silent about teaching men what God's word says about their roles and their responsibilities, about what it means to be a man of God, a father and a husband, a friend. Family ministries are separating, uh, our family ministries are separated so much that kids never see their fathers worshiping, studying the word of God, serving God and the house of God. In an effort to reach the family, sometimes I think we go too far. And our kids never get to see you being the man that you are. There's this important principle in child development called modeling. And what it literally means is a kid sees something and he models what he sees. So what he sees you do, he will model. That's one of the reasons why our kids are with us today and throughout the year. We bring our kids into the sanctuary with us because we want our kids to see you worshiping God. We want our kids to see you with your Bible open, taking notes, worshiping, studying, serving, serving God in the house of God, being men and women of God. I wonder if the church is against fatherhood, but today we make a resolution. You see, many men will die with deep regrets, but for me, I resolve to live for what matters most. I resolve to make difficult decisions. I resolve to lead. Well, what am I going to lead, Pastor Randon? 
I read to you from Psalm 139. We see some very important things here. But I want to talk to you about this issue of leading. Three things you have to lead in your life. Three things if you want to be successful in being who God has called you to be. Three people or groups of people that you have to lead in your life. Notice what the Message Bible says in Psalm 139 verse 23. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me. Test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. David was looking for some specific help. He was wanting to lead, but he was needing some specific help. I want to get some men to help me. Ronnie, where am I... uh, Cards, there we go. I need about six or seven men to come up here and help me really quickly. You don't have to say anything. Just come up, just jump up here and help me really quick. Come on, Mark, Ryan, Tony. Come on, guys, jump up here really quick. As you're coming, let me ask you this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? School teacher. School teacher? All right. What do you want to be? Yeah, FBI agent. State trooper. State trooper. Veterinarian. Veterinarian. As a young kid, G.I. Joe. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Ball player. A ball player, which kind? Basketball. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you was watching Muggsy Bogues, weren't you? <laughs> Ryan? A garbage man. He wanted to, Ryan wanted to be a pilot, he told us in the first service. One guy told us in the first service he wanted to be a Power Ranger. Uh, him and my son, there's the Red Ranger right there. Can you wave, bud? No? Oh. I find it fascinating in life that as a kid, we wanted to be these incredible things. I want to be a fireman. I want to be an attorney. I want to be a ball player. I, I want to be a pilot. I want to be an FBI agent, a school teacher, the president of the United States. And we set these huge goals and dreams. But if we were honest with ourselves, I wonder how many of us would say we didn't quite make it. And life has settled in. Our, our dreams settled in to what we could define as mediocrity. When it comes to our jobs, we're mediocre. When it comes to our marriage, mediocre. Fathering, mediocre. Everything, we just fall in. Some are bad. Some may fall in the category of being terrible husbands, horrible fathers. Others are great. We look at our life, and how many of you remember studying school, cause and effect? Something is the cause, something is the effect. And when we look at the effect of our life, where we are, we're living in mediocrity. I think most men in America would say, well, you know, maybe my life isn't too bad, but it's not what I wanted either. I'm just somewhere stuck mediocre. But then I ask you this question. Why, what is the cause of you being stuck in mediocrity? And we have a number of people that we point our finger at. We point our finger, I know it's his fault. We point our finger at the president. It's it's definitely his fault. Some of us uh, point our finger at our parents. 
It's definitely their fault. I mean, come on now. You, you know, if Pastor Randy, if you had started the way I started, you would understand why I am where I am. All right? Some men blame this person. <laughs> Some men blame our wives. I married that crazy woman. Who else do we marry in life? Who, who, not, not married. <laughs> who else do we blame? How about this one? How about the economy? It's the economy's fault, see? I was going to have my own business and be a multimillionaire. I was the next Bill Gates and then the economy. What else? What else we blame? How about this one? It's got to be his fault. How about God? Man, it's fun to blame God, isn't it? Just blame God. Some of us blame our environment. Where we grew up. Beyond our parents, but... You know, I didn't grow up with the advantages, Pastor Ren, and I didn't grow up with money. I didn't grow up in the right school district. I didn't grow up with this. I didn't grow up with that. There's something missing. If we're going to look at our life and cause and effect and we say, these are all the causes as to why I'm in mediocrity, we're missing something very important that the Bible teaches us. And here it is. We're missing the me. Notice that in all these things, we blamed a lot of people. It was the, my environment. It was God for sure. It, it was the economy. I was doing great. Everything was going well. Then the economy. My wife is the problem. My parents were the problem. The president for sure. The kids. My boss. We can go on and on down the list. We can blame a bad teacher or a coach that didn't get you in front of the scouts to get you a scholarship. We can blame all types of people. But if we're careful, guys, y'all go stand down there. We'll forget the most important person that we have to start with. If you want to lead, you have to start with leading yourself and taking responsibility for your own life. It starts with me. Look at, look at what David said. Investigate my life. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. David understood. I can't blame the whole world first. It starts with me. What decisions have I made or not made? What have I chosen to do or not do or be or not be? starts with me when you're a boy you can point to everyone else but when you're a man part of becoming a man is realizing and recognizing it's time to take responsibility for where I am in my own life were they factors absolutely but it starts with me thank you guys y'all give my hand you see you can't lead your family if you can't lead yourself and you can't lead yourself if you're caught up blaming the world. You may have been dealt a bad hand. There are men all over this room. I know many of your stories. And I would be the first one to say, you got dealt a bad hand. You got stuck in a bad situation. It's not fair and it's not right. But 
At some point, we have to deal with our past and make a decision. Will I perpetuate the wrong that's been done to me? Or will I be the one to make changes so that the generation after me will not struggle and have to fight the battles that I fought or deal with the problems and the hurt that I did? At some point, we have to say, yes, my father was this or wasn't that. Maybe he was totally non-existent in my life. But I'm going to be the father that changes things in my generation. God wants to help you. Let him get involved. The second thing we have to do after we decide to lead ourselves is we have to lead our wife. We have to lead our wife. God has created us to be the head of our home and the head of our families. Not to be a dictator demanding that she do this and demanding that she serve us, uh, but, but to lead as the head of a home. She is, and you and her are one. Remember the Bible said, and the two shall become one. So, so we don't want to be a dictator against our own body. Treat her as with the value, with the love and the respect that she deserves. Don't demand of your wife what you are unwilling to do yourself. You see, I believe that innate in every woman, that God put in every woman the desire to be led by a godly man. Men, be that guy. Speak up. Make sure your wife knows the value and love that you have for her. Finally, lead your family. Lead your children. Lead your family. Lead yourself. Lead your, lead your wife. Don't leave your wife. Lead yourself. Lead your wife. And lead your family. Let's look in John chapter 14, and I want to show you a principle from the life of Jesus. Principle of fatherhood. In chapter 14 of John, Jesus is preparing his disciples that he's about to leave and go see his father in heaven. The disciples are panicking just a little bit. Jesus, we can't take this. You can't leave us. We don't, I mean, I, I, we're not, I, we can't make this. You, you, you've got to stay. You've got to stay. And, and finally, Philip says to Jesus these words in verse 8. Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient for us. Here's what he said. You're going to see the Father. If we could just see him, we would be okay. Jesus responds in verse 9. Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? Here's the principle. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Here's the principle. Your greatest purpose as a father is to reveal the heart of God to your children. Jesus said, listen, you're not realizing, Philip. While I was here on earth, my life existed as a mirror for you to be able to see the heart of the Father. So if you've seen me, you've seen him. I wonder if my kids would look at me and say, when I see a father, my father, I see God. You see, there's a reality in the world that many, if not all, kids get the foundation of their relationship with God based off of their relationship with their father. 
because God put it in us. When we see our Father, are we seeing God? Abraham, God speaks to him and says, go take Isaac up to the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. Isaac is not a baby. Isaac is a, is a boy, a young man somewhere between the age of 18 and 33. He is a man old enough to carry all of the wood for the sacrifice. He's a man old enough to know what was going on. He marches up to the top of the mountain he, and, and he helps his father build the altar. He sticks out his hands and allows his father to bind his own hands and to put him on the altar and to raise the knife. Isaac knew everything that was about to happen. He knew that suddenly I am the sacrifice. And he trusted who? God? We have no proof that Isaac ever talked to God about this issue. He only asked one question to one person. He said, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And that person responded, the Lord will provide. That person was his father. And so in Isaac was a trust in Abraham. And Abraham was a conduit through whom God spoke to Isaac. So Isaac said, I trust my father, and my father trusts God, so I'll trust God. Bind my hands. I got to be that person for my family. I got to be that person that my kids can trust. I got to be that person that my wife can trust, that I have heard from God, that I have studied the word so that I can reveal the heart of the Father to them. It's a call of every father. You see, the word father literally means founder, source, chief, or leader. Father is a founder, a father is a source, a father is a chief, a father is a leader, but the truth is we suffer from the disease of fatherlessness in America. We have a generation of young men that don't know what it means to be a man or a mature responsible leader society is telling us to be boys as long as possible i'm going to be honest with you for just a moment so instead of growing up getting married and courageously raising up the next generation millions of men are staying single remaining emotionally and directionally dependent on their mothers while becoming addicted to entertainment pornography and video games they want the privileges and the rewards of manhood, but only, only the responsibilities and moral requirements of boys. So when they become fathers themselves, they don't know what to do, and they feel extremely ill-equipped. With that, young women are entering life without a deep sense of value and worth. Rather than displaying feminine charm, modesty, and grace, many have become nearly or equally as rude and unrestrained as the stereotypical guy. They are told to act like and outdo men as much as possible. Flirty, immodest, and aggressive, they stay on a constant search for acceptance and attention. Things haven't, that haven't been... Things they haven't been freely given by the one man in their life whose love and approval they really want. And so many auction away their priceless virginity every year for pizza, a movie, and some on-the-spot flattery. Hoping that being held for a few minutes by a teenage boy with raging hormones will somehow fulfill the dark canyon of love there that her disengaged father has left aching inside of her heart. But it never does. 
course, there are many who have fallen into this trap who do not have great fathers. Young people, at some point, as I said to you, have to choose for themselves. It's not all father's fault, but it begins in the home. What kind of father will you be? Will you lead your family? Let me ask you this question. What is the first thing you think about when I say the word God? First word that comes to your mind. Religion. Creator. Provider. Healer. Big. What's the first word that comes to your mind? Well, the first word that came to Jesus' mind was the word Father. When Jesus thought about God, he thought about Father. When Jesus thought about the creator of the world, he thought of him in terms of Father. Because uh, we, we know this because almost 200 times in the life of Jesus, he says, My Father. I'm going to see my father. I only do what, I, what my, my father tells me to do. I only say what he tells me to say. My father, my father, my father. Because Jesus knew who his founder, his source was. He knew who his chief, he knew who his leader was. Is he that for you? Is God your father? Is he your source? And are you that for your children? You see, I believe our children learn our identity from their father. I believe our children learn their values from you. I believe they learn their worth from you. This is my question to you today. Will you lead yourself, your wife, and your family? Will you allow God to lead you? I can't do this on my own. So I return to Psalm 139, where David said, Father, I need your help. Search me and know my heart. Try me. See if there's any wicked in me. And then here's his final cry. Lead me in the way everlasting. David recognized I can't do it all on my own. I need your help, God. Will you lead me?